Today's Old Testament reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 to 5, and can be found on page 330 of the Pew Bibles. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise, on a cloudless morning like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. This is the word of the Lord. New Testament reading comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 19, and can be found on pages 1174 and 1175 of the, of the Pew Bibles. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom 
Every family in heaven and on earth deri derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner, inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to each and every one of you who have been able to come today and have made that choice to join with us in this service. Thank you and thank you all who are joining us with Zoom. We're very thankful for that as well. Um, in these past weeks, we have been going through a sermon series, which is originating a bit from our uh, statement of faith, which you've had a copy of in the bulletin in the last weeks and something that we're reviewing and looking at. Why we're doing this is very simply that in, 19, in 2022, I almost said 1900 something, but it actually started way back then, is that so much of Christendom is beginning to redefine and re-explain or interpret for themselves their belief about God, their belief about salvation, and their belief about what the Bible teaches. And that's why I think for we as a church, it's important in these moments that we just once again look at what we understand God's word teaches us about those subjects. And in these sermons, um, we have done now three. This is actually the halfway mark of the seven sermon series. And the first one that we did was on God Almighty, the Trinity. And we talked about God who is almighty and is all powerful and yet loves us. And he is introducing himself. He is wanting to reveal himself to us. And of course, he is a person. That means throughout the Bible, he is introduced by certain names. As he comes and introduces himself. And to study God is not simply a study like in mathematics or something, but it's a study of a person. And to have an understanding of a person, we need to have a relationship with that person. And also then in Trinity, as we studied, we have, as the Bible says, Israel, we have one God, your Lord is one, and yet there are three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And then we looked at, in another sermon, at God the Father. One God, three persons. But in that, we found that the Bible will teach us that, yes, God is our Father in the sense all of us who are hum human, who have been created in the image of God. In that sense, he is God the Creator Father. But of course, that relationship eventually ends or comes to a climax in the sense that all of us Every man and woman eventually at the end of time stands before God 
and the God of creation who has created us in his image, who's breathed into us the breath of life that we have an eternal living soul, is also the judge. And we give account for our lives. But then there's also the Bible teaches us the knowledge of God the Father as the one who has adopted us into his family. He has saved us in that sense by making us his children as we repent and he puts his spirit in us and then he claims us. Remember as it says in both Romans chapter 8 and in Galatians chapter 4 as God's spirit enters us we cry out and the spirit cries out Abba, Father. And God claims us as his own. This God as father of creation leads to judgment. This God as father of adoption leads to eternal life. Then we also studied last week about God the Son. One God, three persons. And God the Son, the most unique and almost, most, I think, not difficult to understand, but yet marvelous about God the Son is that he is fully God and fully man. Fully God, so when he went to the cross, as he came knowing that was his task, that was what he was going to do, that evil can never shake its face in the hand, or, or shake its fist, excuse me, in the face of God Almighty, saying, it was not enough, because it is God himself offering the sacrifice. There's a lovely chapter in a book on, called The Cross of Christ by John Stott, and the title of the chapter is The Self-Sacrifice of God. But not only was fully God, he's fully man. Because then as he died on the cross, as it says, he tasted death for each and every one of us. And because he was man, he took the full punishment, the pain, the agony, the consequences of sin, and literally tasted death for each and every one of us. For as the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through his Son. So we've looked at the concept of God as Father, God as Son. Now today we want to look at God the Holy Spirit. I need to pray. There is so much teaching and so many things that the Bible says about the work of God, the Holy Spirit, that even if we had coffee today, I do not have enough time. But therefore, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. And Lord, your word is going to teach us that you, God the Holy Spirit, come and actually live in the very person of your children. And Lord, you are not only the guarantee that an eternal work has been done, but you stay with us and lead us and guide us and convict us and change us 
and cause us to grow in our faith and become more and more like the one you've called us to be. Thank you. And as we study today, we simply ask for your insight and your coming to us at this moment. And may you speak to each one of our minds, our hearts, our very deepest person, as Lord, we need you. And you know us fully. And you also know the mind of the Father. And we ask you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to bring those together in our minds and hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just take a couple moments. You know, we talked about the Trinity, and we've mentioned the idea that they are all pre-existent. In the beginning, God, God the Father, created the heavens and the earth. Then also we studied in John chapter 1, where in the beginning, the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And about three verses later, it says, and everything that was created was created through Him. You see, it was there in the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and then, of course, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, And God the Holy Spirit brooded or hovered over and brought forth life. In the beginning, God the Father. In the beginning, God the Son. In the beginning, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, three persons. And then it says also that God, in verse 2, that God the Holy Spirit caused this life to come forward Creation by the Father, creation by the Spirit, creation by the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, of course, is God. Jesus, as he speaks to the woman in John chapter 4, and she says, well, where should we worship? How should we worship? Who should we worship? And he responds to her, God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth. And then he goes on and says, for God is spirit. And those who would worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so, he's God. And of course, the Old Testament is filled with incidents or happenings or records where God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit comes. We read those verses, or they were read to us this morning from 2 Samuel, talking about the last words of David. And in that, did you catch how he said, and God, the Spirit, spoke through me. He was aware of the fact that God was speaking through him. You read Psalm 139 where he says, beginning in verse 7 after this psalm, which describes how God loves us and God is involved in our life and God knits us together in our mother's womb and God is thinking about us. God has plans for us. God has purpose for us. And then he says, oh, where can I go from the Spirit? God. This omnipresence is God everywhere. The Spirit. He says, literally, if I took the wings of the morning and I flew to the end of the earth, a lovely translation of the next part is, and when I get there, you're waiting for me. Or as he wrote Psalm 51, right after he had committed grievous sin. And his friend Nathan the prophet came to him and said, David, you're the man. Oh my to have a friend who is friend enough to come and say, you're the one. Remember how he writes there? Oh God, 
Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And then he goes on and says, And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me. He, in the depth of his heart, understood that God spoke through him. But he also understood that God was there in the person of his spirit and that he could offend him by not living accordingly. And he needed to repent. And the New Testament will say, do not offend the spirit. He's a person. And therefore we live our lives in that way. And time here is just not enough. If we went through the Old Testament, how the Holy Spirit or God the Spirit comes and he speaks through the prophets. He comes in men like Samson and gives them the physical power to do things they could have never done before. And of course, if you follow the life of Samson, then he goes off and he sins. And then when he repents, God's Spirit comes again and gives him strength to do things he's never, ever been capable to do. It's again and again. But then, in the New Testament, Jesus, just before he ascended to be with the Father, after his death on the cross and his resurrection, he turns to his disciples and he tells them to wait in the city of Jerusalem until they receive the power, until the Holy Spirit has come. And in this unique way in the New Testament, God is pouring out the Holy Spirit. And in the very next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 2, it describes it like this. It says, and they were in this room. They were meeting. And then suddenly from heaven, that is where he's originating, from heaven, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, the Holy Spirit with God. In the beginning was the Son who was with God and was God. And now from heaven in that sense, chapter 2, verse 2, he comes like a wind. And we see the result. Jesus describes this to his disciples in John chapter 14 as he is uh, describing what it's going to be like in that moment. He is trying to encourage his disciples because he just said to them, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in me. And he talks about, I'm going away and I'm going to come back and take you. But then what he says here, beginning in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or helper or counselor. This word is parakletos in the in the original, and what it means, it's made up of two words, para, meaning alongside of, and kletos, meaning it's a clear word or decision. In other words, he's like a lawyer, an advocate, or a counselor, a, a, someone like that, who is so aware of your heart and life situation, he knows exactly the right thing to say and to defend. He says, and this one will come and he is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. With you and in you. Then he goes on to even explain it further in the next verses. He says, I have spoken these things to you while I am still with you, but the helper or the advocate, the, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring into your remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, 
So how in the world does the Holy Spirit then dwell in us and speak to us? Well, several of the things that are described then, it's like when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he begins to emphasize in John chapter 3, this work of the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, in our own spiritual life and rebirth as believers in God. He says, as Jesus says to him, speaking to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you can just hear Nicodemus' mind whizzing as he says, born again. How am I then, he literally says to Jesus, how am I to enter my mother's womb the second time to be born again? And Jesus answers, he says, truly I say to you, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, no, physically, spiritually, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of the flesh is flesh, born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So what then and how does this happen? That this spirit of God who has come from heaven then actually is going to live with us and dwell in us. In the book of Romans, that's the section which we have read in chapter 8, it describes that distinctly. Let me just read again to you there. It says, you are not of the flesh but of the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And listen to these warning words. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to but if Christ is in you, through the body, though your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Again and again, Jesus is teaching, when I go, I'm going to ask the Father, and in this special way, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as it's defined, is not only going to be with us, but he's going to live in us. Now, what does he do? How does he get there? He goes on in Romans 8, and this is the way Paul describes it. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received this spirit of adoption as son, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So this Spirit which comes and dwells in us, he, as he comes, our spirits inside of us, our heart knows that he is there. And it says in Galatians, as he comes, he cries out, Abba, Father, and our spirit cries back, Abba, Father, we belong to God. Because he's forgiven and cleansed us. And to show that he has cleansed us, he has put his spirit within us. As it says in John, or here at the beginning of Romans 8, if you have the spirit of Christ in you, you belong to him. If we don't, we need to stop today and approach him. And open our hearts and lives to allow this to happen.
And then he goes on very much in that because it's a powerful idea, of course, of what that actually means. Let me just read to you a few more verses. You're very quiet out there today. Am I going too quickly? Of all the sermons I think I've preached to you up to this point, my prayer is you capture this one. I think it is most essential. And the way that God is working by sending his spirit and having his spirit live in us. As it says in Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite verses, verses 13, it begins right here. Let me read to you. And it says there, the word of truth in him when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed him, so you heard that Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has risen. Jesus, the Son of God, has taken away your sin, has paid the price. And then you believe in him, it says. And you have believed in him. And then he says you were sealed or you were filled with the promised Holy Spirit. Like Jesus had said, when I go, the Father will send him, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Or actually another equal and good translation of that last phrase, or until God takes possession of that which belongs to him. As like Paul says in 2 Timothy, I am not ashamed because I know who I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. In another way it says it's equally translatable and that which he has committed to me. He keeps until that day. I mentioned to you before, and one of my favorite translations of this is that the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. Remember I said when Lois and I were first engaged in Austria, in Austria you put the ring here on your left hand if you're engaged. It tells everyone there is an event coming in your life and you are spoken for. You belong to someone else. And then when you're married, you take it off there in Austria and you put it on the right hand saying, I am there. And that would be an also equal and valid translation of this. That God puts his spirit as a down payment, as the assurance that eternal life is ours. But it's even more than that. So what does this Holy Spirit do in us? Wow. Well, not only does the Holy Spirit lead us in this way, but the Holy Spirit lives in us. He's the assurance of it. But then what Jesus also says in John chapter 16, listen to this, what the Spirit does. He says here that the Spirit, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, as we know, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, which he's promised. And when he comes, listen to what he does. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So what is he saying? Part of the work of this Holy Spirit living in us is he's going to convict us. Have you not heard the voice of God speaking sometimes? No. This needs to be changed. And he says, there's going to be a sin because there is no other sin offering than Jesus. They have not believed in me. 
And in 2022, we'll talk about this again in another moment, but sometimes we're redefining sin. And if you redefine sin, how can one confess? If you cannot confess, how do you repent? If you cannot repent, how is there forgiveness? And we are shutting the door to God's spirit who convicts of sin. And then he says he convicts of righteousness because Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. It is ready. That is why we live, because eternity is real and true. And then he says he convicts, not only that, because of judgment, because evil has been defeated. God and evil are not equal. There is a judgment. Evil has lost. God is God. And I don't say that to make you nervous or fearful. I say that only to proclaim the greatness of God. And this spirit that's in us speaks to us in these different ways. But not only is that, the spirit does amazing things. You see, the spirit as he lives in us, this is the concept, you see. God does not leave us alone. God comes in and he lives in us through his spirit. And then he says, and that spirit doesn't leave us. A, a saying I like, but one of the best sayings that I I don't know if I invented it or probably I'm not that wise. Someone else invented it. I'm sure I'm quoting it from somebody else. Is this, is God loves us so much. He accepts us exactly as he finds us. But God loves us too much to leave us where he found us. God loves us so much. He accepts us exactly like he found us. But he loves us too much to leave us where he found us. And therefore, he puts his spirit in us. And that spirit of God leads us. You know that spirit of God will grow your character and your person. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23, the fruit of the spirit, you see, it's that, it talks in the preceding verses about putting down roots and growing and the idea of a tree producing fruit. It says, but the fruit that God's spirit grows in our life, just think of them, love, joy, peace gentleness, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, faith. How long has it been since your family, since your friends, if you're married, since your spouse has been able to come to your character, soul, and person and have a feast of long-suffering, of joy, of love, you see, that's what the Holy Spirit is growing within our lives. And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it gives a whole list there of the spiritual gifts that God's Spirit places within all. He says there are a variety of gifts, the same Spirit, a variety of service, the same Lord, a variety of activities, the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then he goes through the different manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. He says, given this the utterance by the Spirit, the giving the knowledge of wisdom by the same Spirit, faith by another, the same Spirit, and other gifts by the same Spirit. Again and again, God's Spirit growing in us, God's Spirit living in us, growing the fruit of the Spirit, giving us these gifts of the Spirit that we would see God at work. You see, giving us gift of the Spirit and you're identifying whatever gifting God has placed in you is not so that you're great. 
No, no, no. Every time you function in that gifting of God as a spirit, whether it is a gifting of administration, it's a gifting of leadership, it's a gifting of love, it's a gifting of faith, it's a gifting of taking care of others, whatever that gifting is, when we get into that, we realize it's more than what I personally can do. It's God working through me. That once again, we are aware of the very presence of God. Wow. So what do we do now? Well, very simply this. Let's just bring this to a close. I'd like to read to you from two passages of Ephesians. Kind of the intent and purpose of God for placing his spirit in us. Through this spirit, we have access to the Father. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, chief cornerstone. The structure built together, and listen at the end what it says. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, it's not just that God places his Spirit in us when we have true life, through really been born again, and we cry out, Abba, Father, and we realize he's there. It's not just that he's growing the fruits of the Spirit, giving gifts of his spirit that we realize eternity is real, but it is a very dwelling place of God. God the Holy Spirit in us. And then he goes on, even says, and for this reason, as we read to us this afternoon, this afternoon that we, he prays a second prayer in the book of Ephesians, and he gives this reason so that the power of the spirit in your inner being, in the very depth of our soul, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that we would then understand, we'd be rooted and grounded in love, and then strengthened to understand the love of Christ. Remember how he read the height of it. There's going to be a moment when God's spirit leads you and say, oh, I knew that God loved me, but not that much. And then all of a sudden there's going to be a time when you're down and God's spirit will pick you up and you'll say, oh, I didn't know it went that deep. And then you're going to get off a little bit and you say, oh, I didn't know it went that wide. Oh, I didn't know it was that long. That he leads us. That we would be, know the love of God and Christ beyond knowledge and then and be filled. Here it comes again. Not just a dwelling place of God, but be filled with the fullness of God. You get the idea as you read the Bible, God's Holy Spirit in us is for that. We would get the idea that God is in us and God is staying. Wow. Time is up. In Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, it says, it recounts the story of Moses as he comes to God and his takes so much glory, shines upon his face that when he comes down from that place and speaks to the people, they are in awe because his face is shining. It's reflecting the glory of God. And in Corinthians, Paul says, it's like that when we come to God is that we come into his presence and the very glory of God begins to change us. And there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this very simply, and then that spirit of God in kind of increments leads us from glory and changes us and we become more and more like him. Let me close with this. It reminds me of this situation when Abraham sent his servant 
to find a wife for his son. If you follow that story in the book of Abraham, book of Genesis, you will find that when Abraham finds her, then he invites her, he tells her what the situation is, the family asks her if she wants to go, and then when she wants to go, he says, okay. But you know, he doesn't just say, okay, here's our calling card. We're across the river 600 kilometers that way and turn right with your camel, and when you get there, knock. He doesn't say, here's a GPS to our address. You see, the servant helps her pack. The servant puts her on the camel. The servant leads her every step of the way. And when the sun starts coming out, he, he, the servant warns her and says, here he comes, get ready, get ready. You see, God didn't just save you and say, make it to the end somehow. No, 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 Jesus said, it is good that I go away. Because when the Father sends the Spirit, he will stay with you forever. And he will lead you from today to eternity. Keith Green has a lovely song, There is a Redeemer. The chorus goes, Thank you, O my Father, for sending us your Son and leaving the Spirit until the work on earth is done. Let me pray. And as I pray, I'll ask you first this question. In your deepest person, your heart, your soul, that spiritual part of you is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, living. If not, the Bible says this is key. And as God does an eternal work in your life, he is there. If you look for a millisecond and you do not find him, as I pray, could you open your heart in your mind and ask God the Father through the power of Jesus the Son to place his Holy Spirit in your life. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to share these words. And we thank you most of all that the plan of salvation is so immense. It's your plan. It's paid for by your Son. And it is implemented by the Spirit. Thank you for being in us. Thank you for leading us. And I ask that each person seated here today would experience the reality of the Spirit of God in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together our hymn of response.